What did your soothsayer tell you of me? Surely you would have asked. That you will live very long. And in that time, never find happiness. Hi, I'm Rachel. And I'm Matt. And this is... Come in, 81 Kilo. Forever Night Podcast. I'm going to try doing this where I have a digital notes. Ooh, I saw you typing on the laptop. Yeah, I filled up my previous notebook and I thought, I can hear myself turning the pages. I need to switch to digital. All right, just remember, channel your inner, I don't say like. I'm not a valley girl. I don't think valley girls exist anymore. I used to know this lady who spoke Spanish. Fluently. She was like a blonde valley girl who had lived in Mexico long enough that she'd learned to speak Mexican or Hispanic. Hispanic. Like that's the language. <laughs> <laughs> she'd learned to speak Spanish fluently. Okay. Um, but she still spoke it like a valley white girl. So she said, she Como. She spoke Spanish. She said, Como all the time. She'd be like, Como, Como, like, like, like. It was pretty funny, actually. All right. Anyway. Welcome back, friends. Welcome back. It's time for another episode, a Forever Night episode, Forever Night Season 2, Episode 21, Queen of Harps. A disclaimer before we get started, I think, because we just finished talking about geometry for ocelots for the Strange and Beautiful Book Club, and the subject of religion came up a lot, and I got a little heated, and I think it's important to note... A a little. I think it's important to note, when I talk about religion... And I talk about it in a negative way. I'm talking about organized religion or the types of people that believe they get to use their religion to decide what other people do. If you want to have a spiritual belief that brings you comfort, please do. Go off. Have a wonderful time. Believe whatever you would like to believe. However, I will never tolerate the types of religion that believe they get to dictate how other people live their lives because that is harmful. Not just live, but also what you're allowed to think. Yeah, anyone who thinks they can tell people that who they are is wrong does not deserve my tolerance. And I think we're just going to leave it at that. Okay. So, I guess this is going to, we're going to butt up against some religious trauma here. I can tell. A couple of notes before we get started. Last time I said that Fred Molin had written four songs, because I can only remember four. Turns out he had written nine. And if anyone is interested in finding them, I am almost positive that there is a fan named Kristen who goes by the name Night Vision 1228 on pretty much every platform available. 
and she makes some wonderful fan-made music videos. I think most of them, I think most of his songs have a music video that she's made, including one that he gave her the music because it was never released. Wow. Yeah. Impressive. Right. I mean, she was on the DVDs when they, when they released the DVD seasons the first time around. Sony invited her to put some of her music videos on the, like, additional content. Nice. So she's legit, and she has a whole bunch of music videos, not just for Forever Night. So do go check out Kristen. She's got tons of stuff for you to look at. And she's one of those fans where we've been in it for the same amount of time. So I used to go to her website when going to the website was what you did and download the music videos to watch them because streaming wasn't a thing. And it's just really interesting to see the same fans as like a journey. We've grown up together, like parallel, um, not intersecting in any way, um, because they're just internet people and I'm a weird internet friend. So I'm comfortable with that description. Also, I meant to mention it a while back, but uh, Garrett isn't French. He's Belgian. Not Garrett. Nick. 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 Yes. Because de Brabant is in modern day Belgium, which I think still speaks French. Yeah. Uh, Dutch, French, and German. And my my reasoning for saying that is because Hercule Poirot speaks French and he's Belgian. <laughs> and everyone's always calling him a Frenchie. And he goes, I'm not a Frenchie. I'm a Belgie. So now we know where Rachel gets all of her information. And that's why I'm occasionally wrong. So thank you, everybody who takes the time to... Put correcting information in the comments for me. All right, now that that's out of the way, are you ready to talk about Queen of Harps? So ready. <laughs> this is one of our only flashbacks that are pre-transition. This one in Dance by the Light of the Moon, the one where Jeanette seduces him. Mm -hmm. And actually one follows the other. So chronically, this one's first. And then because of the things that happen in this flashback, he ends up at the Crusades. And because I like he how ends they up tied the Crusades, that in. Yeah. He this is back. this is his tragic origin story. This is his tragic backstory. This is how he ended up on the path that led him to. He got Lafla. forced onto the road trip. He did get forced. We thought he did it voluntarily. No, he did not. He, he got, still enjoyed it. Um, he enjoyed parts of it. <laughs> I bet he enjoyed the broing on the road trip. Oh yeah. Even if he was kind of coerced into joining the road trip. Yeah, because the lord that he served um, murdered the woman he loved. I bet he didn't remember that. <laughs> okay. Uh, anyway, so <laughs> <laughs> we open on a Stonehenge-esque spot. Uh, a, he a henge. A henge, yes. A henge. We open on this henge. Rock, uh, let's call it rock henge, rock henge as distinct from Stonehenge. It kind of reminded me of Spinal Tap. Remember when they get the, <laughs> <laughs> the, the stone? <laughs> and it's only 18 but, inches tall. Yeah. What is that? Especially the part where the wind is blowing uh, gustily and there's one stone that's actually wiggling in, yeah, the, in the foreground. In the foreground. No, oh, they tried. I mean, it's not bad. No, it's it was nice. pretty good. Yeah. I liked it. Um, we have one song that this woman plays on the harp, but it's a pretty song, so that's fine. You know, it's okay. And then her ancestor in the future knows the same song just as well. Yeah, well, that's because it lives in the harp. Didn't you listen to the episode? Oh, that's right. That's right. If you can access the soul in the harp. God, keep up. 
Anyway, this woman is sitting on the a fallen stone in the middle of this henge or like an altar stone or whatever the stone is in the middle. They all have names. Each different stone in a henge has a name and I can't. But I'm not a paleontologist. <laughs> Archaeologist. Hengeologist. I am looking it up because you're just mineralogist. Stop! I'm looking it up. This one, this one's labeled, and they just have a circle, and it says stone. <laughs> well, thank you. All right, I'm gonna cautiously say they're called sarsens, the tall ones. Yeah, I'm pretty sure sarsen is the the big ones, the vertical ones. Yeah. And then there's also blue stones. Well, anyway, in our henge, we can call it whatever we want because I'm almost certain this is um, chicken wire and plaster. <laughs> um, but it's not. They did a really good job with this. Okay, it's fine. I am happy with this henge. I have no notes. We just don't know the names of things. Just remember what we're working with here, and then suspend disbelief. Anyway, so she's chilling in this henge and playing her harp. And the wind is blowing, and it's slightly overcast, and it's very picturesque. And and I said, oh, a druid dies this episode after Matt falling goes, in love with Nick. Matt goes, oh, that lady's going to die. I was like, you don't know that. And you literally said, it's a flashback. She's an attractive woman in the time period. She has no chance of survival. <laughs> <laughs> she also has no chance of resisting Nick's Nicolas. Uh, charisma. He's gonna riz her. Oh god! I was, <laughs> I was drinking coffee. I didn't get a chance to cut you off. Thank God I edit these episodes. So she hears a noise. Hello, said hello. And I want to note this dress is really long. I get that it's picturesque and it blows in the breeze really prettily, but there's no chance that they would have a dress this long and waste that much fabric just to drag along the ground. Right. You might do this for something you're only going to wear inside. Yeah, or ceremonial. Yeah. Maybe that. Maybe that. Maybe she dresses up to come here to play the harp. Oh, yeah. She, she yeah. does the whole thing. And then we hear a horse neigh, and then we see like a waist down vision of a man with a belt. With a sword on his belt, and he's got, like, blue. And Matt goes, ugh, the French. Because <laughs> it's got fleur de lis on it. <laughs> and uh, she runs away, because apparently this figure, whoever he is, is terrifying. And she tosses the harp into the water, and then she gets sorted to death. Because we don't know where she gets hit. Um, she gets, like... She has blood on her side, but it's underneath the outer part, outer part of the dress. Yeah. And... And from the swinging motion, it looks like he slashes. So, regardless. It happened. They wanted to preserve the outer part of the dress. Yeah. Fine. And that's fine. Yeah. And so our opening is actually a murder in the past. (gasps) A flashback murder. Twist the trope. Because we end up going immediately into the intro after that. Ba-dum. (laughs) Ba-dum. I know you're waiting for it, so got to give the people what they want. Then we cut to modern time and our harp is back and it's up at auction and somebody is bidding on it at auction and Nick is also bidding on it 
at auction. So we get up to like 30,000, 40,000, and they're like waiting. And then Nick's like, 75,000. 75,000. <laughs> and then they get up to about 300,000. Yeah. Um, which I think he ends up paying half a million for it at the very end. So let's call it a half a million dollar harp. And then we see the woman who is actually the same actress as who plays the druid in the past. And she is also bidding on this harp. And a guy on the phone is bidding on this harp. So it's the reincarnation of the druid. Maybe. Maybe I've been watching too many K-dramas. I don't know. And then... <laughs> it's her descendant. Her descendant, sure. And then the guy on the phone and Nick. And they're all in this bidding war. And then we cut to Skanky. And Skanky is uh, in his car... And he gets uh, over the radio. They're like, uh, the car in question has been spotted. And he's like, great, where is it? And they tell him. Anyone get lucky? Unit in the vicinity spotted the vehicle in question, 81. Private parking lot in Bartlett, Maine. I'm half a block away. I got it. And it turns is, out. Is that an abuse of no, police power? No. He literally called and he was like, guys. It happened again, and they're like, all right, put an APB out on Nick's car. It's easy. It's a distinct car. It is. They're like, hey, if anybody's riding around, you see it, just holler in. I mean, I don't think any units got pulled off of anything to, like, drive around and look for Nick. I think it was mm -hmm. more like, hey, guys, if you see Nick's caddy, just let me know. And so he's in the middle of bidding. He's about to bid, I think he says, like, five years salary or ten years salary on this harp, and Skanky walks in. I love this part because he's like, I know we're not on for another two hours, but Cohen is looking for us because Skanky can't figure out how to print a report because they got new software. Some new word processing software. And he's like, Nick, I need you to come and print the report. And Nick's like, just go, Skanky, you got two hours. We're not on yet. And then the auctioneer points at Nick and Skanky goes, Nick, he thought that was you. He thinks you're bidding. And Nick is like, mm -hmm, that's fine. 290. I have three in the back. Nick, he's pointing over here. He thinks you're bidding. 300,000 is the bid. Do I have three tens? Nick, he thinks you're bidding. Thinks what? 310. Nick. We know Skanky knows how much Nick has because he's seen Nick's bank account twice now. He's seen one of Nick's bank accounts. That's true. Because in Faithful Followers... He gets to see Nick's account because they're checking to make sure there's no uh, hinky business happening on the account. And that's when Nick makes the crack about, yeah, I just had my banker transfer some money from my savings into my checking just so everything would look legit. And Skanky's like, what? Yeah. So this is this is Nick's. Oh, I wanted to go buy something money. Yeah. This is not his life savings money. Right. His eternal life savings money. And we haven't even gotten to blood money yet. We don't even know why he's so rich. <gasps> God. I've been doing so good. Oh, you've mentioned that one before. Oh, okay. Like a bunch. That's because he has the sword fight, and it's because his buddy was in town. And Garrett was like, can we have my buddy come on and do a sword fight? And they were like, <laughs> fuck yeah. And so they brought him on. Um, but it turns out this is from an estate, Ellen Kutchner's estate. And Skanky's like, um... That was an accident, Nick. We closed that case. Why are you here? Are you investigating? And Nick's like, yeah, I'm investigating the case. And Skanky but says, if you say the word hunch, I'm going to hit you. <laughs> I 
<laughs> well, think about what he just went through. Because he just went through the night in question where they almost should have caused an international the, incident. No, they, they actually did, but it got swept under the rug. Do you hear that sweeping sound? <laughs> <laughs> That's that getting swept under the rug. So Skanky just went through, who knows what they went through, like, overall to get rid of all of the kerfuffle that Nick caused by marching into a consulate and arresting Imagine an ambassador. how creative Skanky had to get on his report. Exactly. How did we know it was that guy? I don't know. Honestly, Nick, like, sniffed the wind and we knew it was that guy. It was a hunch. And everyone's like, oh. Oh, one of those. Oh, Gotcha. Yeah. Because Ellen Kutchner was in an accident. Skanky's like, she was old. It was dark. It was raining. She was driving. She died. These things happen. And Nick is like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I know. I just, you know, I was, I wanted to go see who showed up at the auction. You know, it can't hurt. I was off duty, Skanky. I still had two hours before I needed to come in here and show you how to print your report. What does he say? I was F10ing when I should have uh, been F11ing. He was, I was F9ing when I should have been F10ing. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. It's <laughs> Matt great. Was like, great tech uh, jargon. Thank you. <laughs> they just looked down at the keyboard while they were writing and they were like, how do I print? I don't know. I don't have a printer at home. It's the 90s. <laughs> it's the 90s, skanky. So Natalie immediately calls that Nick was not there investigating the case. She was like, so did you get what you were looking for? And Nick was like, if you mean information, n- yeah, no, yes. And Natalie's like, no, no, I mean the harp. Did you get the harp? And Nick's like, how'd you know? She's like, well, you were like eyeing. He was probably over like caressing it. And <laughs> <laughs> he probably walked over to it and like reached a hand out. And then his gaze went up. <laughs> and he was just and then he was just standing there next to it with his hand out for like 20 minutes <laughs> while he was reliving this flashback and then he like shook himself awake and walked away and yeah. Natalie was like I saw all of that. Oh, this the harp is significant. Okay. Nick and has a tell. He does have a tell. He does have a tell. And Natalie's got his number. Because she calls it immediately. And Nick is like, well, you know, it's from before. And Natalie's like, before lunch? Before what? It's before what? And he's like, you know, before. Did you note the emphasis in the middle of the word before? Yeah, before I was, you know, the sexy beast I am now. <laughs> when I was a sexy regular human beast. That one? That that before. Back in my frat boy days, because we cut to a flashback, and they're, like, walking along on horses, and Matt goes, oh, it's when he was a frat dude. (laughs) 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 Poor Nick. I mean, I don't know. We may cover why he ends up in, in, like, the service of this lord. But I don't... Yeah, why is he in England? I don't know. He's on the lord's business. I mean, Wales. Wales. Why is he in Wales? He's on the Lord's business with Lord Delabar and also Lord, like, God Lord. You know, he's doing a whole, with a Pope. He's I working for the Pope. I think there's a Pokemon named Delabar. <laughs> I can't talk to you right now. But they are there at Carrig with Lord Delabar to convince the current leader to side with the Pope, the current leader of 
Carrig. The pagan leader. And Nick is like, what if the people don't agree? And Lord Delabar is like, um, did this guy not get briefed? Does he not know what we did, do did, when people don't agree? <laughs> did I stutter? Did I stutter? And he says, God is the wind in our sails, or if need be, the iron in our swords. You sound like a general of old, my lord, on a campaign for your emperor. Our empire has a friendlier face, does it not? You ask too many questions that require complicated answers, Nicholas. Bad practice. What if we journey in vain, my lord? What if our influence is unwelcome? These people are pagans, Nicholas. God is the wind in our sails. Failing that, he is the iron in our swords. If the Lord of Carrig is unable to accomplish the task he was charged with, it shall fall upon us to bring these people an offer that must not be refused. Uh, you said the quiet part out loud. Yeah, shh, 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 shh. Sh. And then Nick hears the harp. On the wind. <laughs> From miles away. From miles away. He's he like, can hear his destiny calling. No, no. He can smell a woman is what it is. <laughs> He's like. <laughs> Do you smell mm. that? Hmm. I think there's a woman over in that direction. <laughs> there's a <laughs> woman who would be susceptible to my charms. <laughs> uh, that's a uh, given. These two things. This is a distinction without difference. Oh, a um, woman and, and a woman susceptible to my charms. Yes. Because he then follows the sound of the harp. He's like, with your permission, my lord, I'm going to go um, find the sound of the harp. And the guy's like, yeah, yeah, whatever, go off. Go convert a pagan, Nick, it's fine. So he heads off, and then he hears a woman's voice along with the harp. And it turns out it's our harp lady. And she's hanging out in the henge again. <laughs> Did you go to the henge again? <laughs> and... She immediately recognizes Nick. Well, of course, he's wearing a uniform, but she immediately recognizes that he's here with this delegation, which is here to convert and convert politically and convert religiously the locals. Assimilate. To the, to the cause. The local population. And he says, I serve Lord Delabar. And she's like, well, how do you serve him here? So far from home. So far from your heaven. In this henge. Right here. <laughs> With me, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? I, I was sure that he was gonna say, "Seems like heaven's pretty close right now." I'll serve you. <laughs> <laughs> and then we cut back to the modern modern story, which this is definitely one of those ones where we are. Most of the storyline is the past, and the flashback fully informs what's happening in the present, because. We wouldn't understand his obsession with this harp if we weren't getting the flashback. Right. And it's a good thing we do because he gets up to some hinky ass shit with this harp because he immediately... He just straight up steals the harp steals from the, harp. the auction house? Well, he's at the auction house and the poor auctioneer is just like, you know, he's got some tunes on, he's closing up, he just made a bunch of money, life is good, and he turns around and Nick is just <laughs> standing there. Uh, he must really like coming in through the bathroom window. I don't know. Because, again, he's done the, I've gotten in your building. <laughs> How did I do that? And the auctioneer, again, does not question it. Well, he kind of does. What was happening in the 90s that a man could just appear in a locked room? He's a white man. Dressed cleanly. Like, all suspicion slides right off. Like water off a duck? Yeah. A white duck? A white, semi-affluent duck. 
Okay. I, well, I mean, it's the 90s. Yeah. It's yeah. fairly accurate because he just keep like he did this in the one with the serial killer where he appeared in that woman's apartment and she was like, oh, thank God you've come to save me. <laughs> right. And then he did Jeez. it again where he appeared in the consulate and they were like, no, don't take the ambassador. Not how the fuck do you get in here? And then he does it again in this episode. Of course, he did it to... Um, he did it in Dance by the Light of the Moon, too, where he popped up in her apartment, and she was like, oh, fancy meeting you here. Not, how did you get in my apartment? <laughs> <laughs> it must be something about Nick. Maybe he has, like, a an SCP field. You know, this is somebody else's problem. He has problem. an aura. An aura of, just don't question it. I'm here. You're welcome. Pay no attention to the man. Who just appeared behind the curtain? Yeah. Yeah. Just okay. pay no attention to the man. Just pay attention. <laughs> um, he tries pulling the cop thing because he's like, "Yeah, you're gonna need to give me. Uh, you're gonna need to give me some names and numbers." And the guy's like, "No, I don't." And he pulls uh, where, out. Where's your warrant? And he pulls out his cop badge, and the guy's like, "Well, good. Then I'm sure you're gonna be coming back with a subpoena for my records." See, so and I'm, Nick's like, "Damn, fooled again." <laughs> I bid you good day. It's like, oh, "God damn it, didn't work." And so naturally, he flies up to the roof to brood for a bit. He's like, God, it did. Of course. My clever plan fell through. And then there's a woman running down the alleyway, which he does the like, I follow you through the alleyway. Another skill he is very good at the appear in a room unexpectedly. And the when someone's running out the other end of the alley, I appear at the the alley entrance closest to the camera. And he watches her get in a cab and drive away. And we can tell, because he turns around and walks towards the camera, we can tell that he's not taking this seriously right now, because he's not wearing a vest. That's why it's not working. Mm-hmm. Uh, if he'd worn the vest, the guy wouldn't have been able to say no. He'd have just given his card to him. The missing piece. And then when he walks up to the door, the lock is already broken. <gasps> the lock's already cut. And he just picks it up and looks at it, and then he's like, hmm <laughs> All right. He just like makes my job easier. Tosses it over his shoulder, opens this, the door, and it's walks cut, in. Not ripped apart. Yeah. So he didn't do it. Uh, he's like, oh, it's a shame then if someone were to just walk into this building because the lock's cut. And he gets the buyer's info. Like he walks in, he goes up. The auctioneer has left. And he pulls out the card index, which has well, all the bidders in it. It's the card of the descendant of the druid. Right. He pulls out Joanna. Joanna Johanna? Joanna? Joanna. Joanna. God. Someday I'm going to get better at names. The J-O-H, Joanna? Yeah. I, I'm only, like, that. I only have that in my head from, uh, what's the one? I'm pretty Demon sure Demon Barber she... of Fleet Street. <laughs> she's Joanna. There's a song called Joanna, and okay. it's spelled with an H. Thank you. Joanna Shea, and she's from the Museum of the Giant's Hand in Carrig, Wales. And Nick very helpfully is like, oh, good. I won't remember any of that information. I'm just going to take this whole card and stick it in my pocket and leave with it. And then he very subtly breaks the door into the locked I area. I not subtly. Well, you know what? He doesn't rip the door off and throw it to the side. He just breaks the lock. He just breaks the lock. And we know that took restraint because normally we do monster hands. We rip the whole door off. We toss it to the side and then we stand there for a second. Just to like revel in our prowess. <laughs> but he rips the lock. He opens the door. And then he's like, whoa, that door's broken. It'd be a real shame if someone were to just take this. 
harp. And I love how there's really three storylines going on here. There's Nick, who's up to his own agenda for his own reasons. There's Joanna, who's up to her own agenda for her own reasons. And then there's Lord Delabar, who we haven't met yet, who is also up to shenanigans. Well, and, in modern, isn't he Lord Carrick? Yeah. He's Lord Delabar, too. Oh, okay. He's Lord Delabar, the Lord of Carrick. Okay. So one has to beg the question, ask the question. Would all three of them been capable of doing the things that they did had they not all been doing the same stuff? So Nick wants to go in. We already know he can get in because he just got in. But maybe he got in because things were unlocked. But when he goes back, she's taken the lock off. So he's able to go in because the lock is already off. If she had not cut the lock off, would he have gone in and stolen the, the harp? Right. He's probably... Part of why he went in is probably, oh, the lock's cut. Let me go see if anything else is amiss. Right. And then he got in and, oh, everything's still here. Wait, maybe they got in to the like safe room and took the harp, but they did it more subtly. Yeah, I should probably check the safe room. Oh, the harp's here. I should take it to keep it safe. Because now the locks are broken. <laughs> <laughs> Well, every single one of them is a crime of opportunity, except Joanna. Johanna. Oh, God damn it. Joanna. Joanna. Except Joanna, because Joanna gets there first, and she does one little thing, and then the next person goes a little farther, and then the third one goes farther still, because Joanna cut the lock, went in, and got Lord Carrig's information. But she couldn't get to the heart because it was in the safe room. So Nick went in and got her card. And because he's capable of doing it, he broke into the safe room and took the harp. And so the third guy who arrived could find neither card nor harp, so he killed the auctioneer. That's a good point. Yes. So if Nick had not broken I, in and stolen like that, the harp. I like that Joanna and Lord Delabar are both trying to do the same thing. They're both trying to get the harp and return it to Carrig Wales. <laughs> Yeah, but he wants it in his collection, and she's the Indiana Jones of, it belongs in a museum. Right. Yeah. But they're both trying to get it back to Carrig. Yes. Right? She wants it back just because she wants it back, because it belongs here. Well, she wants to return and, it to the people. He doesn't want to return it to the he people. He wants to return it to Carrig. Or does he to want to destroy it? Oh, that's right. He wants to destroy it to end the curse. To end the curse. Yeah, because his people always die at 55. And I like how he got sh like sh shocked later when he touches it. Oh, he, yes, he does. He gets like, oh, no, the curse. Well, we live in a world where vampires exist, so yeah. there's literally nothing and, to say that ghosts. curses don't exist. Yes. <laughs> so, so I've been told. <laughs> We're not there yet. But he walks off, or rather flies off with the heart back to the actual plot. So first the lady cut the lock and then Nick did his part, which was come in and steal the card. Maybe he didn't take Lord Carrig's card because she'd already taken Lord Carrig's card. Yeah. And then he gets the harp and he flies off with it, which I just imagined him flying through the sky with it, like tucked against his chest. Yeah. And then the next morning, uh-oh, there's been a murder at the auction house and it is Samuel Basker, the auctioneer, and he's been killed. And his neck was broken very efficiently, as if by a professional. 
And the only thing missing is the harp. So Skanky's like, well, they're connected. Whoever killed the auctioneer stole the harp. Okay, great. And I love how Natalie does not have Nick's back. She does not. She immediately suspects that he did this because as soon as she gets Samuel Basker's body, she checks for teeth marks. Well, it's the scientist in her. She always, she always approaches the problem from the perspective of, I don't want to let my bias and assumptions in. Right. Well, it's, while I'm evaluating the evidence. It's the simplest solution is usually the solution. And she knows Nick wanted the harp. Nick didn't get to get the harp. Somebody broke in, killed the auctioneer, and took the harp. And from her perspective, the only person she knows who wants the harp that badly and would probably have no qualms about killing somebody to get it or could potentially have no qualms about killing somebody to get it is Nick. Plus, she just went through the whole thing. She's been going through everything with Skanky. Like, she just went through the whole international incident where Nick really went off the rails. He went a little unhinged. And... Natalie keeps butting up against this situation where it's like, oh, he's not as human as I thought he was. And of course, we don't carry that from episode to episode because it's a 90s serialized procedural drama. But every once in a while we get like, okay, maybe she hasn't completely forgotten what Nick is and what he's capable of. Plus, he's surrounded by people who are more than capable and more than willing to do that. Yeah. So even if he had casually mentioned to LaCroix, hey, I'd love that harp as my birthday present. Oh, yeah. LaCroix totally would have yeah, killed LaCroix the guy. LaCroix would totally do it. He's not in this episode, which I think is really funny. And then we go back to another flashback. And they're talking about the stones. And I love the line, are you sure there isn't anything in this world that your church doesn't know about? And Nick is like, no, the church knows everything. I mean, I already know everything that exists in this world. There's absolutely zero chance I'm ever going to encounter anything mythical or legendary or supernatural at all. Foreshadowing. Foreshadowing. Yeah, there's a lot of foreshadowing in her conversations. Yeah. And she's like, can't you feel the magic? Like, can't you feel the magic of this place? And he's he's like, he says, I feel the magic. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I feel the magic. If you know what I mean? He's like, it's, wink, not, wink, nudge, nudge. it's not coming from the stones is what he says. <laughs> and he's like, no magic can sustain someone against time. Cause she talks about the harp. She's like, you know, it used to be a swan. Then it became this harp and it holds the songs of my people. And it's said that a person skilled enough could play, you know, thousands of songs on this harp. And, you know, it, It'll help us to, it'll help my people in this land to live forever as long as you guys don't fuck it up. And he's like, yeah, okay, no man can, no magic can sustain someone against time. Really, Nick? I think you're going to find out the opposite is true. Yeah. Uh, Which, of course, is foreshadowing again. And then he's, we cut back. He's sitting on his couch. Oh, yeah. Caressing the harp. Stroking his harp. And Natalie walks in and Natalie's like... Oh, my fucking God, you took it, didn't you? And Nick's like, to what I want to talk about. (laughs) Nick! Oh, God. Where did you get it? I took it. It's not that simple. I couldn't let it disappear again. It needed me. Needed you, Nick? It's not yours. Who does it belong to, then? 
Who owns something that was stolen 800 years ago? That's not the point. You want something, you just walk in and take it? All right, all right. Just tell me that you didn't kill him. Kill who? She's like, the harp, Nick. You got the harp. It would have been really funny if he'd shoved it behind him. Like, like, there's there's the a meme. Um, I don't know what show it's from, but there's a guy and he has an ostrich and a drink. And somebody's like, hey, uh, what you got there? And he's like, a smoothie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> what you got there, Nick? Oh, just a bottle of blood. Yeah, you know, just hanging out. Watch, you want to watch some TV? She's like, Nick, is that the harp? And he's like, this is the harp. <laughs> and she's like, oh, God, where did you get it? Did did you take it? And he's like, maybe a little. I'm just keeping it safe. I'm just keeping it safe. And she's like, okay, so you killed the auctioneer and you took the harp. And he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. The auctioneer is dead. And she's like, okay, good. I like that reaction. Um yeah, he's dead, and everybody thinks that the person who took the harp is the person who killed him, because nobody knows you just walked in and took the harp, and then the next guy came and killed the dude. And his fingerprints are all over the door that he forced open. <laughs> Maybe he doesn't have fingerprints. Ooh. That would be interesting. Well, no, because he'd have to be fingerprinted. They'd be on file, because they yeah. have to have them to be able to like exclude them. Yep. And he's like, yeah, I took the harp. I took the harp because it's not theirs. And she's like, okay, if it's not theirs, then whose is it? It's mine! So she's like, at least tell me you didn't kill him. And he's like, okay, I didn't kill him. And she's like, you know what, Nick? You're on your own. I'm going to walk out. I want you to put the harp away. I'm going to pretend I didn't see it. I don't know how you're going to get yourself out of this one, but you fucked up because everybody's looking for the harp. Everybody thinks that guy got killed by the guy who took the harp. You took the harp. Ipso facto, everyone's going to think you killed the dude. So best of luck. Hope this works out for you. So he goes into the precinct and Skanky's like, whew, I've been working. Skanky's been working during the day. Probably because, you know, a lot's been happening. This was their case. It's related to their case. So he probably got called in on it. And he's like, okay, so... You know, the guy who been on the harp is Lord Delabar and this other woman named Joanna. And her card is conveniently missing from the file. I love how everything Nick does casts suspicion on this poor, innocent woman right? who sold her house and put ever, all of her savings and everything into a fund, flew herself to Canada in an attempt to buy this harp, which he then outbid her egregiously on. Then stole it so she couldn't have it. And then literally everything he does implicates her in the murder. He stole her card. And so they think that she took her card so that they wouldn't have her information. But of course, they get it anyway. And I love how Nick is like, you know, this this might have nothing to do with the harp. Like the guy who took the harp might not be the killer. And Skanky's like, the fuck you talking about? Of course, the guy. The, who of took, course, they're related. Of course, they're related. Um, why would they not be related? There's literally no reason to believe they're not related. And Nick is like, yes, there is literally no reason to believe they're not related. Uh, darn, how am I gonna spend? I got a hunch, Skanky. <laughs> and he, then he talks about Lord Delabar, and he's like, he's the one that was bidding. 
you know, and he's the one who ultimately bought the harp and he's from England. And Nick is like Wales, actually. I love how Skanky keeps getting it wrong and Nick gets to correct him every single time. And I wonder if that was an ad lib on John Kapolos's part. Oh, it very well could have been. Because Garrett's from Wales. Yeah, it's... It's good. It's really funny. And this is when he's like, yeah, and Joanna's card was missing. And that's what we call in the business a significant coincidence. And Nick is like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know, I don't know how I significant it is. Maybe it's not. Yeah. And so they show up at the place where the guy bivouacs. <laughs> Skanky uses the word bivouac. Well, once, once they're on the trail of the Lord Carrig, Skanky's language is such a mockery you thought of like formal Nick english was off the rails last episode <laughs> skanky is taking the piss the entire episode he uses the most like 1930s hard-boiled detective well so we call him the biz a significant coincidence he uses the word bivouac he calls the phone the blower yeah he's like hey jeeves <laughs> where's the blower Keep your teeth in, Jeeves. That's what he says to the butler. <laughs> He's like, where's the... Oh, my God. It's hysterical. Everything that he said... It's... And it doesn't seem like skanky language, which makes me wonder if um, John was just sneaking it in there. Oh, if he yeah. was supposed to be like, hey, where's the phone? And he was like, yo, Spike, where's the blower? And then nobody said anything. <laughs> <laughs> and he tells him... Oh, he's back to his, you know what, maybe Skanky has a problem with authority figures, because last time when we went in the consulate, he was immediately on his bullshit. And again, with the when, ambassador, yeah. Yeah, and again, when we go to this country club, he's immediately on his bullshit. Yeah, maybe he has some history. Because he's like, hey, we want to go talk to the Lord Delabar, and the guy's like, well, pardon me, sir, but he's not available right now. And Skanky's mm. like, oh, it's okay, we're just going to go pull down his bed and leave a mint on his pillow. <laughs> <laughs> and the guy's like yeah i can't let you go up there i'm so sorry and he's like it's cool i'll go get a phone warrant right now we'll just add up there no problem right and as he's walking away nick just walks up to the guy and he's like you're gonna let us in and the guy's like absolutely so right away so <laughs> head upstairs he uses, he's expecting us yeah because he uses hypnotism and skanky just turns around he looks at nick he looks at the <laughs> butler guy and he's, he's real like, skeptical okay cool and he just like salutes and heads upstairs after Nick. And then we cut to like an image of uh, a family crest that includes the harp. Mm -hmm. And the Lord Delabar's like, see, it clearly belongs to us. It's in our family crest. I'm British. I found an artifact. I'm pretty sure that means it belongs to me and I get to take it home. And I never. <laughs> <laughs> And now it's mine, and it's part of my lineage, and I don't have to give it back because I own it now. But it's been missing forever, and that's why the land doesn't produce the way it should, because the soul of the land is locked in the harp, and it's been missing for, like, forever. And Nick is like, oh. For almost a thousand years. Okay, all right, fine. And then he actually mentions Joanna, and... Lord Delabar's like, oh, oh, did she steal the did she steal the harp? She's the one who did it. She's the one who killed the guy and stole the harp. That's crazy. And Nick is like, uh, or Skanky actually is like, uh, no, we just want to talk to her. We want to know if you had her information. You guys are both from the same place. Maybe you guys know each other. I don't know how big can yeah. whales be. It's fine. <laughs> 
<laughs> and this is when Skanky gets another hard-boiled detective line mm-hmm. because they're like, uh, who is it? The Lord Delabar says, in the art world, you know, things are worth as much as someone's willing to pay for them. And Skanky goes, then I guess this harp is as expensive as it comes because someone's willing to kill for it. Something like this. Who knows what it's worth to someone? There's a saying in the antique trade, Detective, that the value of any item is whatever someone is willing to pay for it. Then the harp is as expensive as they come because someone's killing for it. (laughs) And then they're leaving because they have no more business with this guy at his bivouac. And Nick just stops and does his, like, spidey sense. Which I love how skanky is like, okay, where are they? Where are, they, where are they, boy? Where are they? Are you boy? <laughs> <laughs> he does not, again, does not question this because Nick is like, someone's here. And Skanky goes, okay, where? And he's like, Skanky, go around. So Skanky goes around. We haven't used go around in a couple of episodes. Yeah, it's been a while. Skanky was like, oh, it's back to, we're buddies again. Whew, all right. Ooh. We can, uh, we can okay. get back into the normal I'm gonna swing go of around. things. And it turns out there's a cat burglar on the roof because there's a lady in all black with like a black balaclava and she's breaking into the window and nick just appears on the roof next to her with his arms crossed like oh oh, oh, i got you (laughs) (laughs) and she turns around and he's lucky she doesn't go like "Ah!" and fall off the roof right what would he do catch her well luckily she's a cat burglar so she repels down the side of the building (laughs) (laughs) she's already hooked up and everything and this is one of the few times where skanky going around is actually effective because she repels down the side of the building and skanky comes around the corner and he's like you're under arrest he's got his gun he actually went around and it was it worked and as she turns to run away nick is on the ground (laughs) i was like nick don't just like fly down there and be there waiting for her when she gets to the bottom because that's way too suspicious don't be suspicious. Don't be at least, suspicious. At least she didn't see him until after Skanky got her. Yeah, he could have repelled down. She left the rope up there. She's still attached to the rope, <laughs> I'm pretty sure. <laughs> She's a modern archaeologist. We find that out immediately because they take her back. And, of course, again, Nick has implicated this woman because he caught her. Of course, she was the one being a cat burglar. So um, it wasn't that hard to implicate her. But Nick is dragging, he keeps dragging this woman back in, much like he dragged her into the conflict in the past. Because they take her back to the precinct and she's being interviewed, she's being interrogated, and she's like, look, I'm a modern archaeologist. I use a lot of different tools, including repelling, bolt cutters, all kinds of stuff. And Nick actually recognizes her. Because he has a momentary flashback of like, oh, you look like the lady. The genetic from the history past. is strong. Hmm. And is this- it is it that she actually looks like Joy? Um, sorry, what's her name from the druid lady from the past, or does he sense her essence and that she is descended from the lady and that we see her? Well, we with know that he face. can feel the magic from her, so hey. maybe she has the same kind of. It's a kind of magic, honey. Hey. <laughs> it's a kind of magic. We should redo the Highlander episode. All right, but Nick recognizes her. And 
She's immediately like, look, I'm trying to buy the harp because it belongs in Carrig. It belongs to the people. I'm going to put it in a museum where we can all like have access to it again like we would have before. I don't know what Delabar wants with it, but I know it's probably not a good thing. And I sold my house. I came here. I had. Wait, she explains that she had met with the lady and the lady had verbally agreed to gift her the harp. Yeah. To take back to Wales. But they hadn't gotten the paperwork done by the time the lady died. Right. Yeah. Because she had met with Ellen Kutchner. That's another thing that just implicates oh, her. Oh, yeah. In all because, of this. because she had been to Toronto recently. But right before right Ellen Kutchner before, died. Yeah. Right when Ellen Kutchner died. Yeah. And she's like, yeah, because she was going to give me the heart, but we didn't get time to sign the paperwork before she died. And I like how Skanky, who is, has been let in on none of the subtext, Natalie at least knows Nick took the harp. Nick knows everything that's happening. Delabar has a, like a generalized idea of the mystical properties of this harp and what's happening. So does Joanna. Skanky, Skanky's just investigating a theft and a murder. He's not in on any of the supernatural bullshit that's happening. So he's still treating this like... This woman is the clear-cut suspect for the person who murdered the auctioneer and took the harp. And so he's trying to get her to confess by putting words in her mouth. He's like, oh, is that when you killed the auctioneer and took the harp? And she's like, what? Killed? I didn't kill the auctioneer. And he's like, yeah, you did. It's fine. You can tell me. It's fine. And they end up leaving. We kind of, we he, don't see He really end. could have gone like noir detective again, like... Listen, sweetie, things <laughs> Listen, will go a lot sweetheart. more smoothly if you just fess up. <laughs> He's go go full cold check the night stalker. Yeah. <laughs> put, put a sucker in his mouth and be like, oh, yeah, it's OK. You can tell me anything. I'll keep you safe. <laughs> but they leave. They're done. They don't. We kind of don't see the end. We just leave her in this room because when we come back to talk to her again, she's like sleeping in this room. So even though it's like the only interrogation room, apparently they only needed it for her. For, I don't know. It doesn't matter. It's it the night shift. It's the night shift. They don't have anybody else. Yeah, no crime happens on the night shift. Well, no, no, no. Nick and Skanky are the only active detectives on the night shift. <laughs> this, this is the angle I'm going with. Okay, okay. And so anybody that they bring in, well, if it's not Nick and Skanky's case, then they're just going in the cell. Yeah. But if it's the person that Nick and Skanky are actively questioning, well, they can just leave the, that person in the interrogation room. Because nobody else is going to need it because there's no other detectives on duty overnight. Right. Right? Okay. You know what? That's fine. In my notes, I noted. In my notes, I noted. Nick looks really happy this episode. We get a lot of, like, joking with Skanky. It's a very I-know-a-secret smile that he's giving Skanky all the time. And it's really cute that you're trying to figure this out without actually having all the information. It's like uh, women's slacks from the IT crowd. <laughs> I know I know that I'm wearing women's slacks, but you don't. That's a secret that I have that you don't know, and that gives me power. Yes. <laughs> sure. But again, let's just go with that. You're just, I love all the, it's like theory corner with Matt over there today. It's my shtick. Yeah. Th that's, that's why our listeners listen, right? <laughs> this is just the service I offer. So this is when Nick is like, okay, you know what? I, I don't know. And Skanky's like, don't tell me you don't think this woman did it. And Nick is like, I don't think this woman did it. I'm I'm 100% certain she didn't steal the harp. 
And Nick uh, Skanky goes, are you trying to tell me somebody else stole the harp and not her? And Nick goes, yeah, I'm saying that. Call it a hunch. <laughs> <laughs> and then we get Skanky talking to Nat without Nick. Mm. And Natalie says, are you sure he doesn't know something that you don't? And Skanky's like, what? No, we're partners. He puts everything on the table. We have no secrets. <laughs> and Natalie's like, sure. Yeah. Sure. Just like us, Skanky. Yeah, we also have no secrets. Poor Skanky. Skanky thinks that Nick is his best friend, his partner. He shares everything with Nick. He tells him everything. He goes to him when he's at his lowest moments. He includes him in everything. And Nick, it's like a cute child is trying to be best friends with him. It's his puppy. It's like a puppy. And it's really sad because Genki has this vision of what their relationship is. And I do think, I do think Nick thinks of Genki as a friend. Yeah. He is, of course, limited by the, uh, Remember the enforcers? <laughs> He's limited in what he can tell Skanky. Yeah. But he also just doesn't tell him other stuff, too. But, of course, he can't tell him he stole the harp. Right. That Skanky wouldn't be able to. That'd be a step too far. He, how's he going to explain that? Well, I had it in a past life. I don't know. But I, I occasionally feel for Skanky because every once in a while, he really does get treated like a pet. Yeah. And in this episode, he gets to be a bit of a pet in that, and less of a partner. Where in previous episodes, he's been, we've been elevating him more to like, we're on equal footing. I'm going to include you in what we're doing. Unless I think it's going to ruin your career, and then I ditch you, but only because we're friends. And this is when Nick walks in, and Skanky and Nick are kind of like, I don't know. Skanky thinks the woman did it. Nick is sure she didn't because, of course, he did it except for the murdering bit. And he's like, well, why isn't she halfway back to England? Skanky goes, well, you know, if she really did it, if it's bo if what's bothering me is if she really did it, why isn't she just right. take if the harp and run? If she stole it, why is she still here? Yeah, why isn't she halfway to England? And Nick goes, Wales. Or not. I mean, it's got to be her. You know, it comes down to who wants that stupid harp enough to kill for it. Can't be this Dillabar guy. He won the toss, so why bother? Joanna Shea's the only one with something to gain. So, what's the problem? Something doesn't fit. If she stole the harp yesterday, why was she trying to break into Dillabar's place today? Why wasn't she halfway to England? Wales. Whatever. And then Natalie's like, so he died after sunrise, which means you're off the hook. I was on the hook? And Nick goes, you mean I wasn't off the hook before? And she does not answer that question. She does not. She's just like, all right, well, <clears throat> I'm ready to listen to the rest of the story whenever you're ready to tell me. Because it better be really fucking good, Nick. And then we get our flashback again. And he's talking to Lord Delabar, who's played by the same actor who plays Lord Delabar right. in the present. Just one is bearded, one is shaven. Right. It's a good beard. It's a good fake beard. Oh, yeah. I was like, oh, look at that fake beard. That is a good fake beard. Nick doesn't have to have a mullet. Always a win. Always hey. a win. And he's like, he only, he only gets the mullet when he's on his road trip. Yeah. Well, he lets it grow out. That's a long road trip because it's a long mullet. And we go from pretty close, close cut to, 
Anyway, it's fine. You know what? The mullet's not canon. I refuse to believe it's canon. So it, it was a. It it's just a. Um, an an optical illusion. Right. It's an optical. It's it's caused by the. Um, Diffraction of air <laughs> of light through the dust filled air of the ancient city that catacomb he's in. thing. Yeah. Yes, that's yes because he doesn't have it in Dark Knight. And then he has it in Dance by the Light of the Moon. So I choose to believe the flashback in Dark Knight for multiple reasons. One, lack of mullet. And two, LaCroix gets the fabulous collar-violin combo. (laughs) And we ditch that in Dance by the Light of the Moon. One thing to remember is that memory, the way memory works in the human brain, is not to be an accurate record of the past memory is for remembering the kinds of things that will help you in the future to prevent bad things from happening he remembered the way he looked in the mullet to prevent him from having the mullet again. but it's memory is mutable memory can change you're only ever remembering the last time you remembered it and so nick's memory of that event has been mutated over mm. time. And now in that memory, he has a mullet. I but guess one in could... the accurate mem- record of the past sense, he didn't. I guess one could argue that in near death, we also see him as a human. Because we revisit the transition scene yeah. where Lacroix is convincing him to become a, a vampire. And then we see him as he's dying and making the choice to come back. And he has a mullet in that too. So we got two flashbacks with a mullet, two flashbacks without a mullet, 50-50. I'm going for the not a mullet. So the mullet that we see in when he's like in the spirit world, that's his soul. His spirit mullet? <laughs> his his soul Nick's, has a mullet. Nick's soul. <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> I've never heard anything more accurate in my entire life. And I'm just going to leave it because we cannot improve on that. So back in the flashback, Lord Delabar is talking to Nick. And he's like, she's stolen your <laughs> she's stolen your heart, hasn't she? And Nick is like, oh, maybe a little. She's kind of hot. I can feel the magic. You know, we had some lines. I gave her some bangers. We made out a little bit. I'm pretty sure it's, I'm pretty sure we're done. We're, we're a thing now. And Lord Delabar is like, you know, your heart can tell you a lot of things, but it can't tell you when it's being tricked. Um, I'm pretty sure every woman is going, reep, reep, false. You can very much tell when you're being tricked, but sometimes you don't want to be told you're being tricked. Right. Yeah, you can distract yourself from the accurate information. Yeah, and he tells him, work and pleasure must stay distinct. So you have to remember that the fair maiden Gwyneth, who's, you know, Johanna. Joanna in the past is Gwyneth. Fair Gwyneth is work and no more. Oh, I thought he said, I thought he was saying, like, don't spend time with her anymore. No. And she is no longer your work. No, the only association you need to have with her is to convert her from her evil pagan ways. 
She's clearly gotcha. liberated. She clearly runs around on her own and has agency as an individual. And that's all wrong. And we need to do that. That shit's got to go. And so he goes to the stones at night. And Gwyneth is chilling out. And he immediately kisses her. With a ton of torches. Well, she did kind of set the scene. She lit well, a bunch yeah. of torches. There's but a I fire mean, going. Nick shows up and he's like, yeah, fuck all that nonsense from Delabar. Yeah, he's like, there's torches and fire and she's sitting on a stone. I'm, uh, She's not at work right now. I'm not at work. <laughs> this is <laughs> I am clocked out. <laughs> this is an after hours. You know, <laughs> except that Garrett Wynn Davies treats making out like it's his job <laughs> every single <laughs> what, what, time. What do they say? Things that you're do good the thing at. you love? Oh, okay. Things that you enjoy doing. And what's the third one? Oh, things you get paid for. Yeah. And the intersection of those three is your calling in life. Yeah. So in Garrett Wynn Davies' Venn diagram of his life, right Ikigai in the middle is, is just making out. Making out. Yes. Right here in the middle is the perfect triumvirate of everything that he loves. And he's good at it. And here we go. Because he's immediately like, <laughs> we should probably just make out. And she's like, cool. But then she actually has to tell him something. So she tells him that, like, she went to the soothsayer. And he's like, oh, you're pagan nonsense. And she's like, okay, but it's the truth. So I need you to respect my religion. I'm trying to respect you here. And he, she told Gwyneth that they are not to be together. They're not destined to be together. And he goes, oh, and did you did you ask him, her about me? And she's like, yeah, I did. And she said, you're going to live for a really long time, but you'll never be happy. And Nick is like, call bullshit. <laughs> and then she says, the harp will curse everyone who owns it because something's going to happen. The harp is going to leave the land and it will become a curse. Basically, she's trying to break up with him. Because she's like, listen, we're not destined to be together. I'm pretty sure we should just, like, this This isn't going to end this well. This has been fun, but... We hung yeah. out. You told me I had magic. It was really sweet. We did some making out on the stones. I lit some torches. Shit got real. But we're not supposed to be together forever. So um, I think you should probably just go. And he does not take this very well. He does not take this with um, any kind of grace. Because he's like, well, this is because you're a pagan. And you're like, gross, and your hair is long, and I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> this, this, is, this is like 30-year-old Nick, not 830-year-old Nick. Yeah, you're right. This is low-frequency Nick, because he does not take this very well at all. He's like, Ugh, gross, you're gross, and he leaves. And then we get the scene from the very beginning again where she's playing on the stones to console herself because she broke up with the guy she thought was really cool and sweet and mature, and he turned out to be a bit of a dick. So she's hanging out. Nick the dick. Nick the dick. Well, that's human Nick. Yeah. Yeah. So she's playing on the stones, and then we get the, where she hears something. But this time, she calls out Nick's name, and she calls him Nicole. Nicole? Yes. Nicole, is that, is, that, is that you? And it turns out, no, we get the same, like, uh-oh, he's her murder her. And it's asshole Delabar, the Lord Delabar. And Nick actually senses something is happening. Right, he, he sits, sits up, up in bed and reaches and immediately grabs his sword. Yes. <laughs> so and I said he fell asleep uh, 
polishing his sword. I need to record you watching these because the number of sexual innuendos that come out of your mouth are staggering and unbelievable if it's, I said each and every talent. one of them. It's a talent. So his tragic backstory origin myth about becoming a vampire starts here. Because Lord Delabar murders Gwen. Slays fair Gwyneth. And um, Nick gets immediately blamed for killing her. Because he's like holding her body and then a bunch of pitchforks appear. And he's like, oh god, how did you guys get here so quickly? Maybe they all sensed it. Maybe she sent out a disturbance in the It was force. The, the activation of the curse in the harp. It alerted everybody. Yeah, and then we get this really short little interlude, almost like our flashbacks normally are, except this is modern day. Because it's a modern interlude to show Nick coming in to the interrogation... Why do I keep wanting to say investigation chamber? Because that's not what it is. The interrogation room. (laughs) I'm only ever loosely attached to the language for things, so... Becoming unmoored is definitely a risk. And I appear to have become unmoored from the words interrogation room. So you are all going to be on this ride with me. I hope we all enjoy it as much as I do. So we get this modern interlude where he goes in and Joanna is sleeping in this room. And he kind of wakes her up and he's like, do you have a lawyer? And she's like, no, I don't know anybody here. Like, I, didn't I just tell you? Like, I, I fled here with a bunch of money to try to buy this harp. And he's like, okay, well, I'll get you the hookup. And then we go back to the past and Lord Delabar shows up because Nick is in prison. Apparently they didn't immediately murder him. He got a trial. It's the Riz. It's the Riz. And tells him that he's free, but on one condition, he has to immediately leave to go to the Crusades. As punishment. As punishment. And he's got to take his sword to Jerusalem. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. And this scene is mostly notable because this is the most nude I think Garrett Wynn Davies is ever on this show because he's wearing this shirt and it is undone yeah, we the got whole the, way down the front. We got the uh, the tanning bed scene. It was like a minute and it's way in the like background of the episode. Yeah, but his shirt is completely off. No, no. He's like front to the camera. Here's my chest. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This This one. I was like, whoa, Nick's chest. And I bet uh, Kristen's got a close-up shot of that. She might. She's been taking pictures of or taking images from the episodes and making them like high resolution, which is pretty interesting to see. Because, I mean, this is all pretty low resolution. And lots of movies and television shows have been getting HD upgrades and then re-released on Blu-ray. Can we put like a call out into the universe for that to happen for Forever Night? Yeah, someone needs to find the the original negatives. They are rebooting them. Crawl. J.J. Abrams just announced that he's rebooting Crawl. If we can reboot Crawl, I think we can figure out how to get it together and reboot Forever Night or at least give us a high resolution upgrade. <laughs> Rachel told me that earlier and I was trying to say with a straight face... Why would they reboot such a narrative masterpiece like Krull? But I couldn't get all the words out without <laughs> laughing. Because it's fucking Krull, okay? <laughs> Krull is beautiful, beautiful nonsense with one amazing weapon, an amazing score, an amazing location, and absolutely fuck all for plot, okay? <laughs> and somehow that is getting upgraded. Now, don't get me wrong. I love Krull. We have an entire episode on Krull. But... 
Does Crawl deserve to get rebooted? I don't know. I don't know. I'd like to see what you could do with Crawl if it had, oh, I don't know, um, a storyline. <laughs> a comprehensible plot. A comprehensible plot and not just laser aliens in my sword and sorcery fantasy. But this is when Nick says the brilliant, um, we all want to see Lord Delabar get what's coming to him in the present. Because now we're back in present because we've sort of wrapped up our our tragic backstory for Nick. Now we know what got him on the road to the Crusades to be disenfranchised with the church, to be seduced by Jeanette, to be turned into a vampire, to get him to where he is today. And Joanna is free because somebody paid her bond and they have to let her go. And Skanky's like, hmm, yeah. Guess she got money from somewhere. And this really expensive lawyer shows up. Yeah, and Nick is like, Escorted well, must be, by Nick. Nick goes, mm, must be a mysterious benefactor. And Skanky's <laughs> like, yeah. I'm this does sure. nothing. No, Skanky's like, Skanky. this is just digging her hole deeper for Skanky because she tried to tell them she had no money. And then somehow she paid this bond and got an expensive lawyer. And everything is screaming, I'm the one who did it and I'm getting away with it because I know something you don't know. Not, I have a mysterious vampire benefactor who feels really fucking guilty because all the suspicion is falling on me because of what he did. And so he's trying to buy me out of this. But it's only making things it's worse. It's only making things worse. And Skanky's like... How come you, like, what's going on? Why did she get a lawyer? Like, what is happening? And Nick says, maybe I wished I had a good lawyer once. <laughs> okay, Nick. <laughs> that's, that's, that's not fine. helping, Nick. That's not fine. That's, that's fine. And then he talks to Joanna because he's like, you remind me of a woman I made out with one time. He doesn't say that, but that's what he's yeah. thinking. And she tells him, like, Listen, I'm an archaeologist, so I'm really good at taking all these pieces and putting them together. And these pieces, gesturing at Nick, uh, these pieces don't say homicide detective on a case. Look, detective, I'm an archaeologist. And if there's one thing archaeologists know, it's how to put the pieces together. So here's what I have. You're bidding against me for the harp. Then you arrest me for killing Basca. Then you help me off the hook. I've got a lot of pieces that don't make homicide detective on a case. What do they make? I don't know yet. I'm a lot better at mysteries a thousand years old. And Nick is like, what can I say? I'm a mystery. And she's like, you know what? I can't figure this out. I'm a lot better at mysteries that are a thousand years old. And Nick is like, well, you're, mm. you're in fucking luck. Cause maybe, maybe you're not too far off then. <laughs> maybe you're not too far off because I am a thousand years old. And I stole the harp and I'm really sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and she says, you know, everything happens for a reason. And there's a reason for you too, detective. And Nick is like, I sure hope so. Thanks. I appreciate it. Says, you know what? We have gotten away from the Nick just wants to be. The redemption arc. Yeah, we've gotten away from the redemption arc. We've done a lot of just like procedural cop stuff which is fine i mean it's a procedural drama cop stuff is fine but we haven't been laying That's on the, the vehicle for the real right the butter. meat of this show and i think the reason a lot of people like the queen of harps episode is that nick is in this to just go back to being a dude like he just wants to be 
human. He doesn't, and he does have sort of a idealized image of what humanity is. And part of it's to be like, that way I can ask for forgiveness and get it and I get to go to heaven and whatever. But it's also just like, I miss being a part of things. I don't like that I am completely separate from everyone. I don't like that I don't get to just be completely honest with Skanky in the way that Skanky is completely honest with me. I hate that I am always with, but not with. Together, but apart from. Yeah. And we get back to that a little bit in this episode, which is why I love Forever Night. So, of course, it's nice to see these little moments where he's like, thank you for that. I really hope there is a reason I mean, I'm here so I can get this harp back to you because though that's really nice. So then we cut back to Delabar and it's Delabar's lawyer, who's the same lawyer that Nick paid for to represent Joanna. And he tells him, look, it's all in hand. Um, I'm pretty sure she didn't do it. Like, we're going to get her off. She's going to go back to Wales. Everything's fine. And Delabar's like, oh, OK, great. Where's she staying? Did she happen to mention what hotel she was staying at? And then we got back to Joanna because Joanna goes back to her hotel room and in her hotel (gasps) room is the harp. Nick, mail it. Fucking mail it, Nick. Wait till she goes home, package it up and mail it to her with information that's like, so I found this on the side of the road and it had a tag with your name on it on it. And so I'm just returning it to you. I don't know where it came from. You're welcome. Goodbye. Because this doesn't help her. This does not exonerate her. You're trying to help her, right? You're. How is she supposed to get this Nick, back? Think about this. Think it through, man. She can't just wrap it in plastic and swim under the ocean all the way to Wales like I, you can. I thought, yeah, there's a curse upon her bloodline. I know who it is. <laughs> Nick, it's you. It's you and you not thinking through the consequences of your actions. Because, of course, history is immediately repeating itself because Lord Delabar arrives at the hotel room and we find out that the curse is they all die at 55. Was he 55 in the past? He was ancient. In 1228, he was 55. Uh, That's why his beard is so long and He was a really old fucking dude. Everybody died at like 30. Hmm. A lot of people died. At 30. But the people who lived... There were plenty of people who lived to like 70s, 80s. It's just there were so many things that now they happen to you. You can get treated where in the past it would have killed you. Yeah, like... So the maximum lifespan hasn't gotten that much longer. It's just... The mortality has dropped so much that a lot of more people are getting there. All right. Well, we find out everyone in his family dies at 55. Men. The men in his family now. And then we cut back to the precinct. We're doing a lot of here. We go back to the precinct. And Nick is looking at the information about Lord Delabar. Somewhat belatedly, I suppose. But he's like, oh, that's interesting. This guy's only a lord on paper. He's got lots of rotten land. He doesn't have any money. I don't even know where he came up with the $350,000 to pay for this harp. And then we cut back to the back to the hotel room and Lord Delabar tries to hit Joanna, but can't. He gets like shocked by the harp. And, right. He touches the harp and like flinches back. 
Right. And so she's running down the hallway to get away from him. And a wall moves at the last second. <laughs> she bangs into it and falls down. <laughs> Uh, Luckily, this thing is still sturdy. You know what would be interesting someday to trace back the the fall. The I'm literally running in a straight line down a hallway and all of a sudden I veer, ram into the wall and fall down. And or I'm running away from the monster and I trip on a leaf. Or I just would like to know what is the first horror movie to feature the I just fall to amp up the tension. Because that's what she does. She just falls. And he ends up knocking her down. And knocking her down some stairs. And then he snatches the heart back and he pulls a gun on her. Which is... But he gets interrupted. Way no chill. He could have just taken... Anyway. He goes to shoot her. And he gets interrupted before he can kill her. And Nick, of course, has taken off. Because he's like, oh no. There's danger. So he flies after Joanna. And he dips down into an alleyway and lands at one end, because that's what he's good at. Yeah. The alleyway showdown. And this is when Lord Delabar's trying to run out of the alleyway. And every time he gets to the end, Nick is waiting for him. And I thought Nick should have said, I can do this all night. <laughs> the, it's a good thing <laughs> this guy dies. Yeah. Because he would just get added to the list. The list. Exactly. And he's like, I have to take this harp. I have to destroy it. It's killing me. And I'm Nick's 54. Like, yeah, and you killed to get it. And he's like, do you know what it's like to live with the curse? And Nick is like, hmm, yeah, yeah, I do. Actually, thanks for asking. You want to hear about it? And the guy's like, no, and he really shoots at Nick. And he shoots at Nick so... Like a whole bunch. Like a bunch. Although he doesn't have any holes in his clothes at all. I guess we've done away with that. In the first season, he would get holes in maybe clothes. He, maybe he actually missed. Maybe he has magical repairing clothes. It's the heart. He, he's upgraded. He's upgraded. He contacted Archimedes or Aristotle. Aristotle. God, get it together. But Nick gets the heart back from him. And then he's leaving. And he goes to give it back to Joanna. Like, just hand it back to her. And Delabar's like, no. And he runs across the road. And he gets hit by a Mack truck. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. <laughs> the curse. The curse. The curse of walking out into the road without looking. The curse on the harp could feel that it was about to be resolved. I know. And it's like, I'm... I'm Ending this early. Technically, he did because he was only 54. Yeah. So he didn't die at 55. Hey, he broke the curse. He broke the curse. Hey, that, and just by just by letting Joanna have it, the curse was broken. Yeah, and he got hit by a Mack truck. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. And then we get to the wrap-up, and we find out that the harp went back into auction. And somebody paid a half million dollars for it and then just donated it to the museum. Nick is like, huh, that's a funny coincidence. Yeah, I'm glad that happened for her. I'm glad all this worked out for the lady who was completely innocent this entire time, but no one's ever going to believe she is because, man, did I fuck that up. <laughs> so Natalie's like, half a million, huh? Yeah, but before that, Skanky gets up to leave and he's like, I am heading home. <laughs> <laughs> If you'll pardon me, I need to head home for, a, you know, to go to bed or whatever. And this is when Natalie's like, your lordship. And she bows <laughs> at him. Case closed. 
What about the harp? You know, I heard someone lay down a half a million for it at auction and then turned around and gave it to that museum in Carrig. Really? Yeah. Listen, I'm done. See you when the night shift reconvenes. Natalie, I take my leave, my lady. I'm off to snag 40 winks. What? <laughs> Your lordship. Mm. <laughs> and Skanky, or, oh, sorry. And Natalie is like, oh, half a million? Oh. And Nick's like, meh, chump change. It's fine. I had them move some money out of my savings into my checking. Yeah. And then I bought the harp and donated it. And then we get like a, the harp is home because Joanna is sitting in the stones playing the in harp. In the henge. In the henge, wearing modern day clothing. And somehow this harp has made her hair grow because she did have quite short hair. And now her hair is much more reminiscent of her ancestor, Gwen. Th this is years later. Is it? It I looks like it from the hair growth. Or maybe yeah. that's a wig. That I mean, we know it's a wig. We know it's a wig, like costume-wise. But maybe she's like, I have to. Maybe get, I have to get dressed. Maybe they filmed the scene of Joanna playing mm. before all the Toronto scenes of Joanna playing. Oh, no, it's a wig. And she got her hair cut for the no, Toronto scene. It's a oh, wig. Sorry, Toronto. Toronto. Yes, my niece was like, "You guys say Toronto wrong." <laughs> <laughs> we do we do it's fair sure it's, it's toronto um i don't i don't know but tell you people say a lot we were from michigan and people say lots of cities in michigan and the midwest wrong too it just happens it's fine nobody's corrected us except my niece <laughs> you say it wrong and then she looked up the pronunciation guide online and showed it to us it's toronto you don't say the second T. Sure. Sure. It's fine. It's like Mackinac. Yeah. The last N-A-C is silent. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, oh, it's probably an indigenous word. Yeah, and it, we just spelled it as close T. as we could, like most of the city names in Michigan. Yeah. In that area. Yeah. 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 What'd you think of this episode? It was pretty good. I liked the, the tragic backstory. It was good. You know what? We got a lot of what we're here for, which is mm -hmm. tragic vampire tragicness. Yeah, without like, you know, politics and. And Nick lots being of very, very sincere. Blah. Politics and dialogue and blah. Um, Nick being very, very sincere and just being very, very bad at thinking through the consequences of his actions, yeah. which of course is what led him here in the first place. Well, 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 if this isn't the consequences of my own actions. <laughs> Once again, we meet again, my old nemesis, <laughs> the consequences of my own decisions. That's exactly how Nick feels all the time. Every yep. time he wakes up in the morning, he's uh, like, this morning affirmations. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I feel for him, of course. That's why I love this television show. And I like it when we get these, you know, he's funny. It's fun. We we make a lot of we have a lot of fun poking at the plot holes, and we oh, have yeah. a lot of fun poking at some of the more ridiculous things that happen. But ultimately, it's a show about a guy that just wants to go back to being a regular guy. And when we get back to that, that's when it's really at its most magical. Yeah, we do that a little bit in Preacher. We have the Cassidy character. And there's a part where he talks to God and God's like, you know what? I just see a little boy who wants to go back home. And it can never go home. So 
I mean, it's kind of sad, and that's that's the point. And so I'm glad we get an episode where we get that. Because we haven't in a while. We've had Nick being like varying amounts of using his abilities to um, follow up on his ridiculous hunches. Right. To do police work. To do police. To do police work. Yes. To do (laughs) (laughs) heavily quotated police work like in uh, the last episode where he was basically just like, yeah, that guy did it. And everyone's like, oh, okay, Nick's on his bullshit again. We'll just let him have it. Yeah, I don't remember what the next episode was. I was just trying to think it through. But uh, yeah, we're heading to Toronto, guys. In fact, we'll be in it when we'll be in Toronto when this episode airs. We'll be is, off in the, the homeland. Is Meg <laughs> going to listen to this episode while we're she's out behind. walking around? Yeah, she's behind. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's fine. I, I get it. It's fine. They're up in perpetuity. You listen to them whenever you want to. I've been going through and picking out some of my favorite moments to make little reels out of. So if anybody else has favorite moments, please do send them. I'd love to know what parts people like about our episodes. The dark, the Nick Knight one, the most shared moment on YouTube was our your crack about the Taco Bell Chalupa. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I okay. I mean, I think that part's funny. Is it the funniest part of the episode? I don't know. I haven't listened to that episode in a really long time. I think one of my favorite episodes that we have done still is the Father's Day episode where I lost my shit about the Kirkland blood keg. <laughs> in the in the frilly shirt. Yes, in his work shirt, his 18th century peasant work shirt. That was the best. I, I hate that we didn't use that Euro minute but once. Yeah. And it makes zero sense in that episode. Zero <laughs> sense. And I just love it. I, will, I love it. The laying, the laying like by his couch on his back in his bathrobe throwing cards makes more sense because his bed's taken. Right. Or banging, the, or banging the ball against the door. Yeah. Why, why didn't or playing we use chess those? in a thunderstorm. We have all these <laughs> options. And yet we went with Kirkland blood keg. I don't know. I don't know. I'd love to know where he actually gets his blood. Does it come in a keg? Does he have to buy <laughs> Well, apparently it comes in a keg, a big wooden keg. Where does he get the green bottles from? Do you think he just gets he them and he like them. soaks the label off so that they'll be blank? He recycles them. He has a whole bunch of empty ones. I know he has a bunch of, no, I, know, I know he reuses them, but where oh, did he get them he from get in them? the first place? I don't know. Maybe he, he got a hookup from some supplier. Yeah. They're like, what do you need him for? And he's like, that's my business. Do you sell blood? <laughs> <laughs> By any chance. <laughs> By any chance, do you also sell blood? The, the bottles just reminded me. Yeah. I don't know. We didn't get any of our like other vampire characters in this episode. We didn't get Jeanette. Oh, yeah. We didn't get LaCroix. Maybe that's why it felt so much more about like just about Nick. Sometimes mm-hmm. LaCroix, I love, as much as I love LaCroix, sometimes LaCroix distracts us. It gets us more into the like, God, I fucking hate my dad. He won't leave me alone. And less of a... I kind of wish I was something other than what I am. I don't, I, we make fun of, we don't make fun of, we poke fun at the show a lot for it, but I get tired of people constantly just pointing out how Nick is never going to get what he wants and he needs to just give it up and he's being ridiculous. That's no reason to stop trying. I mean, sure, but. I mean, that's why we're all watching the show, so he's not going to do it. So can we quit having a character whose sole purpose is harping on that? That would be great. I mean, it's okay if he shows up 
it's fine when he shows up. Obviously, I don't mind him, but a different conversation would be great. Instead of, I mean, like in um, Be- uh, Beyond the Law, the last episode, mm-hmm. where Nick is just there as an after duty after hours, like off duty police officer acting as security. He's not in the campaign, and the senator comes up and he has a polite conversation with the senator where he makes some vague generalities like, I can tell you're going to make it to the White House. You're doing really great, sir. LaCroix is like, oh, I can't believe you would talk to him like that. You really think he's going to the White House? You're ridiculous. I can't believe you're a part of this. And Nick is really just like, I'm not a part of this. I'm, no, like that That was just that polite everyone, chit-chat. Everyone just keeps insinuating that I am, but I'm literally not. I'm literally just hanging out here for cash. I'm masking. I'm would you get up off my back about it? Except he can't because LaCroix is always like, oh, you're just lying to yourself and now you're lying to me too. And he's like, I'm not, I'm not actually lying to you. Would you quit gaslighting me? I'm really just like, just hanging out. But anyway, I guess I just wanted to say my piece about that. It's nice every once in a while to just get a Nick episode of Nick being Nick. And this was a good Nick being Nick episode. Yeah. Plus we get our tragic origin story. Who doesn't love an origin story? Right. Yeah, it's nice to know how he ended up in the Crusades. Right. We don't just that get... he was coerced into it rather than volunteering. He, yeah, frat broing his way across Europe, and then somehow he ended up in Jerusalem, and they were like, "All right, we're gonna kill some Muslims now." And he's like, "What? We're gonna do what?" <laughs> right. And I had imagined that you know he he had this group of guys that he was just hanging out with, and then they were like, "All right, come on, Nick, we're we're going on a road trip." And he's like, okay. And then, like, just sign this paperwork. Just put, <laughs> Here's put your, your sword. Put your name on this list. Here yeah. you have to wear this, you know, outfit, whatever, uh, to be, you know, to go on the road trip. This right. is part of the road trip uniform. And he's like, okay, I'm not sure that I'm actually invested in what your goal is here, but I'm just hanging out with my bros. Yeah. Yeah. Bro solidarity and that yeah, was he it. definitely... He definitely didn't go along willingly with an understanding of what the outcome was expected to be. Yeah. So it was either he didn't grasp what the the goal of this mission was, which is totally understandable, or he didn't go voluntarily. Right. And he didn't go voluntarily. And now we know it. Yep. Well, I guess we'll just leave it here. I got to go pack for Toronto. I'll be posting pictures of it on the Instagram, probably. So if you don't follow us on Instagram already, you should. We're the Strange and Beautiful Network on Instagram. You can find a link to it on our website, which is strangeandbeautiful.club. On our YouTube channel. Yep. I don't plug any of these things anymore. Oh, nostalgia for when I used to plug all these things. Just kidding. Uh, but I have it. Strangeandbeautiful.club has like all the links. The merch store, the Patreon, the Instagram, all of our other podcasts. It's all on there. So if you ever want to find anything, that's a good place to start. Plus it has our suggestion form. If you ever want us to cover a particular topic or something on Strange and Beautiful Book Club, feel free to drop a suggestion there. Well, anyways. Until next time, friends. Bye. Bye. Because you can't be raised where I was raised and not believe in some kind of magic. I think things happen the way they do for a reason, even if we don't know what it is. There's a reason for you, too. I hope so.
and I eye rolled and then I did it. Alright. I'll let you have your minute there. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> Why? <laughs> I'm just giving you sound clips that you can use for mm. effects on the buttons. Mm. Yes, your snort burp combo is what I'm gonna put on the <laughs> effects buttons. Well then, then you can insert them in when you need some filler. God. Like, <laughs> you can do an edit and be like, instead of Matt saying like, I'm gonna replace it with him snorting. <laughs> <laughs> like look. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>